say, 10 years from now, when you wake up on the 1st of January, 2030, how do you want the world to look? I hate that this could be seen as like wishful thinking. Um, but I would want all of our Pacific Islands to still be there. Um, 10 years from now, that's the only thing. Pretty much sums it up, really. Yeah. Hi, Philly. Um, it's really lovely to meet you in person. Um, I have learned a lot about you from um, seeing your work online. Um, it's really nice to, to get to meet you. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Salafalava, my name is Ayungale Fili Fepuleitapu'i. People call me Fili. I'm 18 years old, um, Samoan born, uh, born raised in Mangere, South Auckland, from the villages of Fire Iron Sungung in Savai Samoa. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, your relationship with nature um, and what role you feel that nature plays in your life. Um, yeah, and, and why nature is important to you. My relationship with nature and my life is definitely one where I feel like connecting to nature is connecting back to myself. Um, not only myself, but to my people and who we are and our culture. So I think that nature is like the foundation of everything not only for myself, but like in this world. Um, so protecting nature is pretty much protecting all that we care about. And that's how I see nature in my life. Yeah, and that's definitely the connection I see to myself and nature. And do you think there are particular experiences that you had growing up or particular people in your life that have influenced your relationship with nature? So many. Yeah, there are definitely so many. Um, I think the first would definitely be my ancestors and my heritage, um, relearning who we were before colonization and even what we do now in the islands post-colonization. There are things that definitely influenced me to stay in tune with our, our natural world. Um, and I think that the way that our ancestors fought for the land and fought for our people was something that influenced me a lot and encourages me a lot. Um, secondly, I would say the amazing indigenous vocal that I've met throughout my life um, or that I've seen working. Actually, the first entrance into kind of the climate change conversation was watching um, Native Americans protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And to me, that definitely influenced a lot my relationship with nature and how I saw, um, per se, activism, climate activism. Um, it was one where it wasn't for personal gain or personal glory. It was just purely protecting the land and their futures um, and there's a saying that they use water is life and it just pretty much sums it all up um, and seeing that people like Pacific Climate Warriors, um, Parakoriki Tamaki, Te Arafatu, so many amazing people that are doing the work, MT0, um, they're definitely to a kind of that have molded my journey and the things that I believe in as well as Tame Iti um, which is actually one of the most pivotal experiences and people um, that I've met. Because at the time that I met him, I went down with action education. Um, and I went down as a poet to perform at their sustainability festival they had going on in Rotoki. And so while we were there, 
just listening to them talk about the reason why they do what they do, it was just so natural. Like, and it was just like second nature. Like no one questioned it. It wasn't like this big noble pursuit. It wasn't something that was made out to be um, something looking for glory. It was just who they were. And so at that time, I probably was struggling the most with like climate anxiety. Um, we're facing a lot of ignorance from the spaces and the people I was meeting um, out in these big climate conferences. And so when I went down to Real Talkie, um meeting an activist who literally dedicated his whole life, put so much on the line, sacrificed so much, um, and would do it all over again. Yeah, it pretty much censored me, grounded me a lot. Um, and kind of reminded me that like, even though things, even if they seem futile, that's not the point. Um, what we do is always worth fighting for because it's not just about us. Like, I guess that's totally what it means to be an ancestor and a descendant at the same time. And so that's definitely a person and a, a place and time that I hold dear to me. Um, and this may seem like a really random one, but it's a moment that I think about a lot. Um, it must have been like a few years ago now, but if you're from Mangere, you'd know the place that I'm talking about. Um, there's one in Mangere East where you go past, you go past the BP, you go past all the the takeaway foods, and there's a little, like, what do you call it, like a hill? And there's like a junkyard on one side, and then there's King's College and Mudmore on the other side. I remember one day, me and my dad and my brother were driving up this this hill, and there was like an old lady, must have been like. 80s, 70s, and she was like sweeping the concrete. Um, and I was worried at first. Was, uh, me and my siblings were just looking out the window, and I was like, Do you think she needs help? Like, she's okay. And then my older brother was saying, Oh, no, like, I've seen her, like, I've stopped to talk to her a few times, and she's not like in danger or anything. She just comes out and she cleans the road. And I was just sitting there for a long time thinking about, like, I couldn't get this image of like this old lady cleaning up the road, not because anyone was telling her to just because that's what she thought she should do with like one broom, like this whole strip. And it just stuck in my mind for a long time because I think when a lot of people think of climate action and what it looks like, um, that's not the image that comes to you. Um, especially where we're from, a lot of people wouldn't look at that and think, wow, that's climate action. But to me at that time, I was like, damn, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so I think that lady, where she is, I don't know who she is, but that's definitely one person that I think about a lot when it comes to the stuff that we do. Thank you. Um, it sounds from what you're saying that you see climate action as taking responsibility within your community. Um, and do you remember, you also mentioned the Dakota Access Pipeline. Do you remember that feeling when you first learned about climate change and how it made you feel and maybe what it triggered in terms of that sense of responsibility and duty to your community? So when I learned, about the Dakota Access Pipeline, I was year nine. 2016 was the year. Um, and I remember just hardcore watching all the videos, all the updates, and seeing all the backlash they were getting for protecting their land and their water. Um, you know, having police shoot rubber bullets at them, all these really traumatizing things. And I was so angry about it, because I was like, why is this happening? Like, I don't understand why um, indigenous people would have to fight to protect their own lands. And so through following out that process, um, I remember I was watching an interview on Democracy Now! and an indigenous elder, he was talking about other indigenous communities and he had mentioned the Pacific. And that caught me off guard because I was very much, didn't think it was 
um, connected. And so when I learned that it was, I started researching all the things to do with Pacific um, climate change. And so when I searched it up, it came up with like most endangered countries um, due to climate change and like half the list was Pacific Islands. Um, but I was like sitting at, <laughs> I was sitting at the school computer and I was like crying and it was so funny. It wasn't funny, oh my gosh. It was only funny because everyone was like, why are you crying? And I was like, didn't know how to explain it. Because um, I was really frustrated. And I think the biggest thing that stood out for me at that time was like, why is no one talking about this? Um, why is it that I'm learning about this through like some chance coincidence? Because I've seen this dude talking about it and I searched up and it's like this massive thing. Um, so that was the first time I had ever learned about climate change or what was happening in our communities. Um, and I remember at that time, my mate asked me to go to an art show with them at Margaret Art Center. And I went, it was a show called Fenua. Um And I didn't know it when, before we went, but when I went there, it was actually about climate change in the Pacific. And it was an amazing, beautiful show. And I remember one of the poets tour, she said something and she said, um, the Pacific Islands won't be another Atlantis. We will not be a miscarriage. And I, him and I cried the whole show. And that year was really just about learning learning so much about what was happening, learning about the people that were doing the work. And that was actually the first time I'd heard about the Pacific Climate Warriors. Yeah, and so that was the most uplifting thing, um, knowing that there were people that were doing the work and that cared. Um, and so when it comes to personal responsibility, I tried to take it upon myself to tell like my mates and like say, damn, like this is shit you should care about because this is us. Um, yeah, so at that time, that was really all I was thinking about, yeah. So it sounds like ever since you um, found out about climate change and it um, touched you at a really personal level, um, you've been working hard to try and tell other people about it. And what do you think, um, what messages or what type of communication do you think are really resonating with people that you're talking to? Firstly, I think that largely the climate conversation in New Zealand is not accessible enough. Um, I say that because at the time it wasn't even accessible to me learning about it. Um, I say it because usually it's seen through a really scientific economical lens, but the cultural side is completely left out because people don't acknowledge what's happening in the Pacific enough when it comes to these issues. Um, so I definitely think one of the most important messages is to make sure that it is accessible um, and not on a performative or tokenistic front, but actually engaging with these communities in the right respectful ways and making sure that who you have speaking isn't just there for their own personal reasons. They're there because they know the greater God or have the best interests in mind. Um, so one of the most important things or most important ways that I try to talk about it is really trying to relate it back to our communities. Because um, for a very long time, climate change was seen as like a, like a balangi issue. Like it, was, it wasn't an issue that we had to worry about because like, oh, none of us can go vegan. None of us can afford an electric car. So why would we talk about it? Um, so kind of trying to dismantle and unpack that. It's difficult, but it's so necessary because once people understand, it doesn't take much for them to understand once you say it in a way um, that resonates with them. It's just about people willing to put in that work. Um, and I definitely think that one of the biggest messages would be that the key to climate action is actually indigenous knowledge. Um, I say that because 
a lot of the adaptation issues and a lot of the solutions people have is so money-based that it becomes isolating for those that can't engage, even though those that can't engage are the most vulnerable and most affected by the issue. Um, yeah, I feel like indigenous youth that are growing up right now, so much talent and potential and so much drive to make sure that we overcome this issue. So they are actually the key audience that we need to be catering to. Um, not people who have been in these positions of power for years and years and years and have just sat there and are not willing to go those extra miles and make that extra change. Speaking of people in positions of power, um, we have a new government, or soon we're going to have a new government. And what is your kind of top five list of to-dos for Jacinda Ardern and the new government on climate change and protecting nature? Go to Ihimata Naski. I think, firstly, announce a climate emergency. Like, it's long overdue. Um, I say that because... To fix COVID, you have to acknowledge that it is a climate issue and that climate change has had a massive part to play in the way that COVID has affected all the countries in the world. Um, interesting enough, when reading, I think, Auckland's climate action plan that they put out in 2019, one of the councillors, Penny Hills, she said that um, new pests and diseases would arrive because of climate change and will continue to. And that was an indicator that they know. Like they know that it's connected, they know it's not segregated. It's about actually putting in the legislative work so that that's seen in government and on a national level and on a grassroots level. Um, so announcing a climate emergency and making the green COVID response, making a green COVID response so that we're not adding fuel to the fire and adding more problems on top of the ones that we already have. Um, thirdly, I would say, man, Constitutional transformation, through acknowledging Te Tiriti Waitangi, that is one of the most important things we can do at this time. Because um, like I've mentioned before, there are so many indigenous people that are doing the work. Um, when we look at our iwi and our hapu, the consultation shouldn't just be pretending to talk to them, not actually generally listening, because they have the solutions in their areas. They know the land better than anyone else. And it's about actually acknowledging the commitments that you made in Te Tiriti. Um, there's so much space there so that we'll be able to make those legislative choices and actions and actually pass it through government. It just needs to be used. Um, fourthly, I would say, hmm, make sure you have indigenous people at the front of center of these climate discussions um, on every front. Because New Zealand on the world stage is seen as the country that is doing one of the best things when it comes to climate change. But if you're not actually acknowledging your indigenous people enough, and if you're not acknowledging your citizens that have countries that are sinking right now, then is that really the best that the world has to offer? I don't think so. Um, so when it comes to our adaptations plans, whether on a city level, whether on a national level, it really needs to be looked at, especially when it comes to how everyone can make changes, not just those that can afford it. Because um, oftentimes people, I've been told a lot, like if you can't afford money to help change things, you can give your time. But time is money, you know? If you got six kids to feed, if you have two jobs, if you're working night nice shifts, you don't have the time for these things. So making sure that we have um, solutions that aren't just money-based, and the pressure isn't only put on individualistic actions, but the actions of corporations, which are actually contributing more than any individual, any one of us could do. Um, I think that's the way to go. And fifthly, investing in our youth, um, especially the youth 
that are most affected by this issue. Um, I know that, and I feel like in the next coming years, we'll have a lot of people coming over from the islands. And I think that the, the nationwide perspective on that needs to change. Um, not treating them as second class citizens because the reason why they're coming is because of New Zealand's part to play. Um, I think New Zealand does have a, a duty to the islands. All the exploitation, all the crimes against humanity that have happened in our islands aren't taught in school. And I feel like that's the reason why a lot of people don't see it the way we see it. Um, climate change didn't come out of nowhere. And the, face, the issues that we face right now didn't come out of nowhere. It was years of colonization. Um, so in order to undo that hurt, in order to actually acknowledge what New Zealand's part was in that, we need to be able to offer them throughout this time that is happening and not make it about ourselves. So yeah, that's what I would ask of Jacinda Ardern. Um, you talked about giving of your time and um, doing the work, and it sounds like for many years you have been doing exactly that through your poetry um, and also through uh, your work with For the Culture and all of the things that you've been doing to um, try and you know make um, a difference. And I'm just curious to hear your reflections on your time doing activism, if you even call it that, um, and yeah, where you wanna go from here. To be honest, I find it kind of weird when people refer to me as like an activist or I have to use, um, reference myself in that way so people understand like what we do because I don't really see it as work. Um, I say that because it is a lot um, and there's a lot that is asked of you, but at its simplest level, on its most basic level, it's literally about our survival. Um, and that's why, the biggest reason why I don't see it as work. Um, I don't think I could live with myself if I could just be ignorant to all these things that I now know to be true, you know? Like, especially with the privilege I've had to be in spaces with such amazing people that are doing the work. It feels wrong to ignore that and just pretend like things are okay. Um, in that sense, I'm a big believer that our ancestors are watching over us um, and that our descendants will look back on what we did once they face the consequences of our actions and they will ask what we did um, to make sure that they could have better lives. And so when I, our youth that will come, I think my biggest thing is that I hope that they feel like we did fight for them. Um, and so even though it may be seen as work, um, it's definitely not what it feels like. Um, a lot of times we've done stuff that it was just like, people would praise it, but it's like, why wouldn't we do it? You get what I mean? Like, showing up for your community that raised you doesn't feel like work because it's kind of paying it forward and paying it back to the people that raised me and invested in me and loved me throughout my whole life. Um, especially when I look around at our students and what they do. Yeah. Helping out your friends doesn't seem like work, does it? Yeah. Loving your family doesn't seem like work. Um, well, on the flip side, <laughs> the flip side of that conversation is that the thing I don't want for our up-and-coming youth that are coming into these spaces is to be exploited. Because um, I think that sometimes that can be the case for people who come into our communities and try to take advantage of the good nature of our people. Um, and I think that's very much a tragedy, you know? Because you can ask people to share their stories with you but if you can't facilitate safe spaces for them to be held or for them to be told, then what really are you doing? Are you actually creating more harm than you are healing? 
do you actually generally care about this issue you're trying to bring across? Um, I think those are really important questions people need to ask themselves before they approach our youth. Yeah, acknowledging the upper hand you have in an unbalanced power dynamic is so important for adults who are coming in and actually trying to come and talk to our youth. Um, I think that's something that I've had to navigate a lot throughout this time, um, trying to suss out who actually cares and who's actually just there for the scoop. Um, and it's weird having people treat our lives like it's a scoop, but yeah, that's something that I, I don't wish upon any young person. Um, and that's definitely one of the reasons why I do what I do, trying to facilitate safe spaces within 40K. Um, even the way 40K started was not like polished or clean at all. It was like literally a bunch of high school kids meeting up in a McDonald's and like saying, oh, what can we do? Like organic grassroots things like that I always had the softer spaces in my heart so I think that's pretty much my experience of doing things. Um, just thinking about the young people who are coming up behind us, um, do you have a vision for say 10 years from now when you wake up on the 1st of January 2030, how do you want the world to look? I hate that this could be seen as like wishful thinking, um, but I would want all of our Pacific Islands to still be there. Um, 10 years from now, that's the only thing, pretty much sums it up really, yeah. And what do you think is the most important thing that New Zealanders need to know about climate change right now? Your ignorance will cost people their lives. It's as simple as that. Um, and I think learning about climate change, wherever you are, whoever you are, it's in your best interest. <laughs> it really is. Um, there's so much I could say, but also I think it's important that the public know to hold accountable the politicians who have the power to make choices. Um, even though politics may seem like this faraway concept, like I said, it's our lived experiences. It affects you in every way that you do things, whether you like it or not. Um, so making sure that you're using whatever position of power or privilege you have to hold those politicians accountable is so important. Um, making sure you're acting with the most vulnerable people in mind is so important. Um, and that's what I think New Zealand needs to understand on top of acknowledging the exploitation of the Pacific Islands um, in the coming years. Because there's so much hurt there. Um, and there's so much disconnect between that as well. You know, there have been comments that the Pacific Islands are leeches, that we will survive because we will pick the fruit of other countries. Um, but we don't want to just survive, we want to live and we want to be happy and that's what we deserve. And so I think it's important that people understand that and try to overcome that ignorance. Because like I say, it will cost people's lives. Thank you so much, Philly, for um, sharing your story with us, for your really powerful words and you know, for that message to New Zealanders as well. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Shout out to 40k, shout out to for the culture. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you so much.